What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another fantastic episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. It's the contact. She's just entered into contact. She's entered the contact <laughs> with the contact. It's the contact. Don't break the chain. <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? So, Danny, it's the month of May. And it's going to be a short month here. We're only doing two weeks. But that doesn't change the fact that this is 80s Mayhem Month. And is there a better way to kick off 80s Mayhem than with our first Fulci film? I think not. I think uh, there's plenty of mayhem to be had here in this film we're talking about. Definitely. As I've said before on the show, Euro Horror is a mixed bag for me. But Lucio Fulci is the exception. Over the past two weeks, we've had movies that featured characters or creatures that you could consider zombie adjacent. And while we aren't doing zombie, we are doing the supernatural zombie splatter classic from 1980, City of the Living Dead. This wasn't my first foray into Euro Horror or the world of Fulci. I had already seen Zombie and a few other Italian horror films, but this was still early on in my adventures. One of the reasons I'll always remember this movie is because, as far as I can recall, it was my first experience with a movie with an alternate title. When I discovered this movie, it was on a rental shelf under the title The Gates of Hell, and I can still remember going home and popping that tape into the VCR and seeing the title City of the Living Dead on the screen. It was definitely a bit confusing, and I even stopped it and thought I had got the wrong movie. I don't remember if I went online to figure it out or just decided to watch it, but I was definitely not left disappointed. If you've been listening to us for a while, you know that here at Fraternity, we love our well-crafted scenes. And since we're only doing two weeks in this month, I wanted to really give our listeners a solid two weeks full of some of the most iconic, gruesome, and memorable scenes in 80s horror history. And we're starting here with City of the Living Dead. And if you check your calendar, it isn't easy to guess what we'll be doing next week. But why don't we get into City of the Living Dead right now? Because this movie delivers memorable moments in spades and let's welcome back christopher george danny so let's jump right in to that fulci classic city of the living dead absolutely but before that i just wanted to say you can follow us on twitter our handle is at fraternity that's at fraternity go over there dm us like our tweets retweet us any sort of interaction helps us out and grows our fan base we have an email or Email is fraternity at gmail.com, fraternity at gmail.com. Email us questions, comments, anything at all. We'd love to talk and respond to you. And we have a YouTube channel. If you want to digest your weekly horror over on YouTube, you can go over to YouTube, type in fraternity in the search bar, and you'll find our YouTube channel where we upload episodes of the show over there. So go check all of that out and keep up to date with everything fraternity is doing on all social media platforms. City of the Living Dead begins in the town of Dunwich, where we watch a priest wander through a cemetery. We then see that a group in New York is seeing what we're seeing while holding a seance with a woman named Mary at the helm. 
Mary witnesses the priest hang himself as this awesome acoustic track that makes me wonder why Opeth has never done a horror movie soundtrack <laughs> kicks in. There's like only a handful of tracks for this film, but they're all really great. And yeah, especially this acoustic one, this very haunting guitar here. I love it. She then witnesses a corpse rising from the grave before shouting about the city of the dead. It's the city of the dead. And she foams at the mouth before letting out a scream and collapsing to the floor, breaking this psychic link. And then it appears that poor Mary has died. Some uninteresting cops arrive to investigate Mary's death. They're not interested in the whole witchcraft, Book of Enoch bullshit these trendy goths are peddling. Suddenly, fireballs fly out of this room that apparently had Taco Bell. <laughs> One of the main women is this chick named Teresa, and she's informing the police that somewhere in some town, strange things are occurring. And that's where we're headed. We meet this character in Dunwich named Bob. And this guy epitomizes the song Creep, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, he almost looks like a zombie in some ways. <laughs> yeah, and it's hellaciously windy in Dunwich for some reason. But we watch Bob enter a vacant house to have sex with his blow-up doll. It just magically inflated for Bob <laughs> when he threw it. Yeah, are these, were they self-inflatable? <laughs> Either way, he's about to get frisky with this self-inflating woman when he notices a decomposing, worm-infested corpse of an infant out of the corner of his eye. Did you think this was an infant corpse? Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's definitely a rotting baby carcass, and it's got, you know, worms crawling all over it. It's just disgustingly gory, but it's great. I mean... How many movies are you going to see a rotting baby carcass? So you got to enjoy it when you have it. Even if it's probably just a rotisserie chicken <laughs> covered in worms. Right. You got to enjoy it. <laughs> I love its little feet, you we know. We then meet. <laughs> you just see the little baby, rotting baby feet. Yeah. Oh, man. We then meet the one and only Christopher George Danny. How excited were you to see him back yes, on the screen? Finally, he's back. You told me. I was going to see more of him, and here he is, playing Peter Bell, the reporter, investigating into the death of Mary, and he's just great in this film, and it was such a nice surprise to see him back. Yeah, we see him get stonewalled as he tries to get the scoop on this suspicious death. And then back in Dunwich, we see strange things are still afoot at a local bar. And I mentioned how I discovered this movie under the title The Gates of Hell, and I'm guessing that this bar sits on top of the gate because it's cracking up. Some of the dad figures get spooked when this mirror shatters, and they start discussing how Dunwich has felt odd ever since Father Thomas hung himself. The bartender tries to write their suspicions off, but the brick wall literally splits open, and we see smoke and can hear moans spilling through the crack. And despite the offer of free beer, these guys are going to leave, Danny. <laughs> I love the long, drawn-out reaction shots that'll become a common uh, reoccurring shot here in the film as they're just watching the wall split and they're just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's one of the reasons why Euro horror movies 
feel a lot longer than 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very much a slow burn here. After that, we meet one of our main characters. It's a therapist in Dunwich named Jerry, as he has a session with a woman named Sandra. And then a young lady named Emily walks in and informs Jerry she has to go see the ultra creep himself, Bob. We also learn that Dunwich is apparently a town near Salem, and that the founders were witch burners, or perhaps it was built on top of Salem, I'm not really sure. Well, they do say our ancestors, so I guess, yeah, I guess they're in some way connected to them. Yeah, either way, some weird shit happens, and Jerry's cat attacks Sandra. And I love how in Fulci films, even a small injury like a cat scratch just has to be extremely gory. Over the top, yeah, like this little kitten just like made these deep gashes into Sandra's <laughs> hand. <laughs> yeah, she's like torn up pretty fierce. <laughs> this cutest little kitten ever, this little, <laughs> little baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a cute kitten. Next up we get one of the more iconic and definitely one of the most memorable scenes in 80s horror history as we go to a cemetery in New York with Peter. He encounters these two jerkwad cemetery workers exhuming a body who tell him to piss off before he visits Mary's grave. Her casket still sits above ground waiting to be buried and these workers eventually show up and lower her into the ground. But after shoveling a minuscule amount of dirt, they decide they've done enough for the day. <laughs> and since it's five o'clock and their union, Danny, they're going home. They can finish burying her tomorrow. Yeah, what was up with the time here? It's like they just ate lunch and then they're like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> it's five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do love those two characters, though. They're funny. Oh, yeah, they're they're hilarious. <laughs> This sequence starts oozing tension as we see Mary wake up in her casket, and she starts to become panicked. She beats against the coffin lid. She's clawing at it until her fingertips start to bleed. And I know these are just special effects, but for some reason that touch makes it look painful and always makes me feel like she's really in pain here. Yeah, same for me. This When she's clawing... And it's causing her fingers to bleed. It just makes my skin crawl. And I think it's the sound design, too. Like, it just sounds like nails on a chalkboard as she's just clawing her way out of there. And Mary, at the same time, is gasping for air. You know, she's underneath dirt at this point and probably low on oxygen. So she's doing everything she can. And it's just, oh, man. Yeah, it's so effective. Yeah, good shit. And all the while, we cut back to Peter as he's walking away. And he stops and looks back as he hears the pounding, but he isn't quite sure. The tension building is masterfully executed with this back and forth. It drags on, but not annoyingly so. It's just the perfect amount. Yeah, I feel like any other movie, you would be like, come on. But for some reason here, it's just like... I don't know, it's, it's like Fulci has mastered the art of drawing it out without making it annoying, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. At least in this scene. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is definitely the peak of uh, the tension and long, drawn-out scenes. Just as Peter does walk back to the grave, it seems as if Mary has fallen unconscious. 
but she releases this blood-curdling scream before Peter has the chance to walk away again. We then get the wonderful sequence of Peter using a pickaxe to smash through the coffin. And the end of this pickaxe comes crashing down dangerously close to Mary's face and head just over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like, I don't think Peter realized how close he was to killing her. <laughs> yeah, just a brilliant sequence that ends with Peter prying a hole in the coffin lid big enough to reveal Mary's face as she screams in horror. We then get this goofy scene back at Teresa's place, though, where... For some reason, we only look at these characters' eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> they tell their story to Peter. And long story short is, he's gonna take Mary to find this town of Dunwich. And I do like how Teresa is like, You have three days to close the gates of hell before All Saints Day, or the living dead will take over the earth. But I don't see her doing <laughs> anything about this. She's like, Look, the world's about to end. I'm going to chill here. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> She's got to conduct more uh, seances or whatever. <laughs> She's too busy. And I love when she's telling, <laughs> saying all this and she looks directly into the camera. This happens a lot, but uh, it's my favorite when Teresa does it. She just has that creepy look and the things she says about, you have to close the gates of hell. <laughs> Yeah, it is good. I think it's because Teresa's face, you can really see her skull under that thin right. skin of hers. <laughs> I also like when Peter asks Mary, how do you know it's Dunwich? And she's like, I saw the name on a tombstone. <laughs> so back in Dunwich, Emily meets up with Bob, but he's seeming troubled as he sobs in bed. It's almost as if something is haunting him. They hear some strange noises and Bob runs for it, leaving Emily behind. And she tries to catch up to Bob, but she gets grabbed by zombie father Thomas, who has a palm full of grape jelly and live worms that he smashes into her face. <laughs> so she's dead. <laughs> we get a brief scene of Emily's father calling Jerry to ask about the whereabouts of Emily. Jerry calms him down and assures him that she should be home any minute while also scribbling down Bob's name on his desk. And then elsewhere in Dunwich, a young couple is making out in a van. But the young lady isn't feeling it tonight. Something is creeping her out. She feels like someone's watching. And when her boyfriend turns his headlights on to assure her they're alone, the apparition of Father Thomas appears out of thin air hanging there before their very eyes. This freaks both of them out, and the young man attempts to start the car, when all of a sudden the hanging apparition disappears, and Father Thomas appears right outside the girl's window. He stares into her eyes as we see her eyes begin to bleed, and here begins yet another iconic and memorable scene. I don't know how they achieved the weeping blood effect, but it's so disturbing and awesome. We're going to see this particular effect a few more times, but never to this degree, because this girl's eyes just become full <laughs> They're of just blood. pooling with blood. Yeah, I was wondering, too, how are they doing this? Like, they must be, like, pumping the blood, like, and hiding the pump somewhere, like, through tiny tubes or something. But yeah, it's, like, pooling in her eyelid, their bottom eyelid, and it's just, it makes me so uncomfortable, too. Like, anything having to do with the eyes is... You know, for a lot of people, it 
goes too far. <laughs> and it almost gets there for me here. So yeah, it's really hard to watch. <laughs> I just can't help but think like it has to be so uncomfortable. And you can see her being such a trooper. Like she's like her eyes strain of every little bit, but she's trying to keep them open. It has to hurt. Yeah, it can't feel good. <laughs> and you got to wonder, like, what are they using to make it red? Like, this can't be... It, it, it's got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> it's one of the greatest so-you-want-to-be-in-a-horror-movie moments. Because if you side on the dotted line, this is some crazy shit that might happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> we then get the classic gut-puking scene. And this boyfriend watches on in terror as foam and blood spills out of this girl's mouth. And eventually it's just uh-oh spaghetti-o as her intestines spill out. I love that it's all practical. And it remains the actress for quite a while before the floodgates open. And we get that close-up of a dummy <laughs> just rapid-fire puking all of her insides out. Yeah. If it wasn't for that obvious transition from actress to dummy head, it'd be perfect. But, you know, you get a close up of those obviously fake teeth and lips and it's just like, OK, <laughs> I mean, obviously they had to do that, but it is what it is. Yeah. The audio is what really makes it worse. Too, yeah, though. definitely. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, we get a bonus with a zombie hiding in the back seat. And it grabs the guy's head and just squeezes through his skull. We even see bits of brain bubbling and bursting out. These zombies are just into brain crushing, not brain eating. So do Fulci zombies always use the ancient art of brain squishing? Or is it exclusively in City of the Living Dead? I'm pretty sure it's just exclusively done here. Interesting. Yeah, this sucker leaves a giant ice cream scoop out of this guy's <laughs> skull too. Like... That was pretty rough. The more I think about it, this is sort of the zombie calling card in City of the Living Dead. Like I said, they're not brain eaters, they're brain crushers. And apparently they have the ability to teleport in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And in fairness, this is more of a supernatural film than it is a zombie film. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, they're very different when compared to normal zombies or zombies in American films where. They're almost being controlled by, like, an external force, you know? Like, Father Thomas is kind of leading them on, but then it's like, there's also a higher power above him, probably, like, Satan or the devil or whatever. So it's a very interesting take on zombies. Yeah, I think it works for this movie. But at the same time, this is the third week in a row now where we're not getting traditional zombies. <laughs> <laughs> These are definitely the closest variations so far, but if you're asking us where the traditional zombies are, they're coming. I promise you. We will get there. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Just be patient with us, okay? Let's get through the weird stuff together and we'll get to the classics. Most of our time from here on out will be spent in Dunwich because Peter and Mary go on this extended road trip that thankfully doesn't get much screen time. <laughs> Let's go get lunch. <laughs> the world's ending in 48 hours, but I'm starving. <laughs> we see later that the police have discovered Emily's corpse, and it appears that she's been frightened to death, but everyone in town aims their suspicions at Bob. <laughs> 
These are the descendants of witch hunters, after all. We learn that a lot of people are dying in Dunwich, as Jerry accompanies Emily's parents and young brother to the funeral home. And trust me when I tell you that you do not want to die in Dunwich. This mortician can't do his own makeup, much less the makeup of a cadaver. <laughs> Dracula-looking ass. Don't get me started on that old lady's hair, Danny. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> we see Bob goes back to his little hideout, only to be startled by the apparition of the hung Father Thomas that drops from the rafters right in front of him. I'm not sure why Bob is being tormented more than anyone else, <laughs> but it fills the runtime, I guess. Poor Bob. Such a unfortunate soul. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's gonna only get worse from here on out for poor Bob. <laughs> we get a brief scene of that mortician getting his comeuppance when he attempts to steal the jewelry from the cadavers. And he winds up getting a massive chunk of flesh bitten off of his hand from that old lady. Sweet revenge for that front bun, Danny. <laughs> Emily's father remains distraught at home. And it only gets worse when her little brother John John gets startled by Emily's oatmeal raisin brand zombie face appearing outside of his window. Oatmeal Emily. Gonna say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, say what you will about some of the zombie makeup, but I like Emily's face. It is nasty, but uh, she's not my favorite. Well, what I like about Emily is her eyes, because they become more and more lifeless and crooked as time goes on. Right. At this point in the movie, though, there isn't much plot. It's really more a vignette of happenings in Dunwich. One happening is Sandra calling Jerry over when the cadaver of the old lady finds its way into her house. At the same time, Bob decides to squat in someone's garage, and his choice of garage will become rather detrimental to his health. Jerry and Sandra struggle to understand just what the hell is going on with this cadaver that is seemingly mobile inside the house now. They discuss courses of action while searching the house for the wandering cadaver, and suddenly a window explodes and shards of glass pierce a wall that begins to drip blood. So we've got bleeding walls now, Danny. Not good. Not good. Yeah, it's funny you can describe what happens with Sandra and Jerry in a few sentences, but in the runtime, it takes about five to ten minutes to get through all of it. It's definitely a lull in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it really kind of sags right here. But now it's time for another iconic scene, Danny. <laughs> Peter and Mary finally catch a lucky break when they meet a priest who is aware of the hanging death of Father Thomas, and he's able to tell them how to get to Dunwich. But now it's time for that third iconic scene. <laughs> so this young perky girl goes into her father's garage to fetch her hidden stash, and she finds Bob squatting in the car. She goes to smoke with him, but her father, one of the guys from the bar scenes, finds them down there, and goes after Bob. And he goes after Bob hardcore. You see, there's this table drill on the workbench. And after a brief struggle, Bob finds his head being forced closer and closer towards this drill. And well, Bob's head, drill, drill, Bob's head. <laughs> what do you think of this one, Danny? Oh, it's great. It's so intense. 
And it again, it's drawn out just long enough where you almost think Bob has a chance to survive here, you know? I was rooting for Bob. Like I said, he's such a unfortunate soul getting blamed for all these terrible things happening in Dunwich and to see him just take this drill to the head. I mean, it's great to watch, but I do, you know, I want justice for Bob. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great scene. And it still looks great, too. There's no obvious, like, dummy head or anything like that. Like, it still looks really good. And I love when Bob's jaw clenches after he's killed. <laughs> yeah. And then the dad doesn't stop until this drill comes out the other side of his head, too. Right. And I really like that last image of Bob dead with the drill just penetrating the entire length of his head and still spinning. Pretty gruesome. Yeah, it's a gruesome image and it looks great so fantastic scene here i could swear when i was young watching this scene i think i was checking the door like don't let anyone walk in during this <laughs> <laughs> so after bob gets driller killered it's time for our avengers assemble bit because jerry meets peter and mary in the cemetery and then they go meet up with Sandra at Jerry's office and swap stories. They start to discuss the end game when all of a sudden the windows burst open and our lead actors and actresses get hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of maggots blown in the window on them, Danny. There is no space or crevice that is left unmaggot filled. There's maggots in their hair everywhere in the room and they're just surrounded by them you can't move without crunching any maggots on the floor <laughs> i've heard but not confirmed that the vomit from sandra was a genuine reaction from this actress in this epic bit of gross out cinema <laughs> wow if it was that would be some one of the greatest moments caught on film on accident. <laughs> <laughs> I even love we get these close-up shots of the faces of these actors just plastered with crawling maggots. Like, they literally glue maggots on their faces. Right, yeah, they always have those maggots on their cheek and forehead <laughs> to drive home the point. <laughs> It's another one of those defining so-you-want-to-be-an-actor moments in movie history because I don't think I could do this, Danny. <laughs> it would be tough, but I mean, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> not every day you see something like this. <laughs> yeah, how many codes were broken here? <laughs> yeah, really. All for the art. All, all worth it for the art in the end. <laughs> Definitely. Another, I'd say this scene isn't quite as iconic as what we've already seen, but it's it's like a good four, number five, you know? Yeah, you can't beat those other three, but this maggot flying sequence is still great on its own right, of course. So there's maggots everywhere. And then John John calls to tell Jerry that Emily has murdered their parents and he's all alone. And we get this nice shot of a shocked John John by the phone as we see blood is pulled up on the second floor and it's dripping through the ceiling and onto the dining room table. They get blood in the milk, Danny. 
Yeah, from this rotting blood stain on the ceiling, just dripping into the milk. Ugh, nasty. So there's no more skepticism towards the strangeness afoot in Dunwich. Not to mention there's only a few more hours until All Saints Day. So Jerry sends Sandra and John John to his apartment while he pokes around the funeral home with Peter and Mary. But before Sandra can even unlock the apartment, she gets the old brain crushed by Emily. And John John has to run away. We get some teleporting zombie action in the streets and alleyways, but John John manages to escape with the help of Jerry. And then our trio leaves John John with the police, and finally we're off to find Father Thomas's grave and whatever awaits us there. And for some reason, we get zoo audio as our trio <laughs> walks through the cemetery. So, are these zombies making monkey noises, or am I hearing right? <laughs> Very confusing. Very confusing. <laughs> and then, at the same time, we learn that it's already All Saints Day, so have they failed? <laughs> <laughs> we also cut back to the bar a few times here to get some pretty good teleporting zombie bits of terror as the patrons find themselves quickly surrounded. I couldn't tell if one of the zombies here was Bob or not. It looked like him, but I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was Bob too. But yeah, it looks like it's supposed to be a lot of the people we've seen killed, but they've got so much raisin bran on their face that it's hard to tell who's who. <laughs> they crawl in with too many worms <laughs> on. <laughs> More importantly, Peter, Mary, and Jerry enter Father Thomas's family plot. And they find a large cavern. And not long after entering, and after a fantastic real rat jump scare, they delve deeper into these catacombs and find themselves quickly surrounded by the living dead. Even Sandra is down there as a walking corpse, Danny. Yeah, we get a very intense staring contest with Sandra and the rest of the group. <laughs> And unfortunately, Peter is on the receiving end of a brain crush, Danny. And that's the surprising end of Christopher George in City of the Living Dead. Yeah, I did not expect our lead here to die. Get his brain squished out and then a couple of rats come and eat on his brain bits. I was going to say, you love rats and Christopher George, so how much did you enjoy that? <laughs> Everything I love in one nicely packed scene. Can't complain. And Mary is getting the bleeding eye death stare from Sandra, like you said. But Jerry interrupts the process by stabbing Sandra through her stomach. And apparently that's enough to kill a zombie in this movie because she dies. <laughs> yeah, we really don't get any established rules on how you kill a zombie. But it seems like stomach stabbing is pretty effective. And then Mary and Jerry press onward. They confront Father Thomas to put an end to the possible end of the world. I love all these zombies emerging from the cobwebs and gravel. And you get those nice sounds of them just like digging their hands in the gravel and pushing themselves out as they rise from the dead. It's great. Yeah, this is some classic zombie action here down in the catacombs for sure. You know, Father Thomas, half the time when he appears, he's always in the pose that he died in when he was hanged. And it's here, too, where he's in that pose at first, but he's just, like, floating there and making a face. 
And then he transitions into that evil looking scowl as he looks on the Jerry and Mary. Yeah, he locks eyes with Mary and she once again falls under that spell of weeping blood. But with his unwavering bravery, Danny, Jerry grabs a large wooden cross and thrusts it directly into Father Thomas. And that looked like a low blow. And Father Thomas took it like a low blow. (laughs) But again, (laughs) apparently that's enough. Because Father Thomas bursts into flames. And then we see all of the zombies that had just risen from their tombs also burst into flames. So the day is seemingly saved as Mary and Jerry resurface. And then we see John John run towards them through the cemetery to greet them. But as he approaches, a fear grows over our heroes. And that's the end of our movie. Not sure what was up with that. It's not like it was Bob from House by the Cemetery running at him. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Chill out, Mary. It's just a kid. (laughs) Just John John. Alrighty, man. So that was City of the Living Dead. What did you think? Well, City of the Living Dead is a very unique take on a zombie film. I'm not that familiar with Fulci, but of the Italian horror I've seen, I can say I'm a fan so far. You know, it's such a different take on zombies. You know, they really don't act like the zombies in American films or other zombie films for that matter. And it's just refreshing, I think. It is slow. It's a very slow burn of a film. I think it's got plenty of kills to satisfy even the most jaded horror fans or gore hounds. If I had any complaints, I would say the first half might have blew its load a little too much and... I think it's very heavy with the kills and iconic scenes in the first half where the second half kind of focuses on the plot and it does get a little drawn out. And even the finale here feels like it goes on a little bit too long. But overall, it's got a great soundtrack, great gore. It's got zombies. It's got a haunted town. So it's a great film and you should definitely go check it out if you haven't seen it. Awesome. I agree 100%. I've always thought the first half of this movie was a whole lot better than the back half. Like, I can guarantee you I've seen the gut puking and drill kill far more than I've paid any attention to the catacomb scene at the end. Right, yeah. But speaking on those kills, Danny, did you find a favorite one? I did, in fact, find a favorite, and... I have to go with Bob's death. Nice. Nice choice. You know, it's probably the most intense scene in the film. Like I said, it's so drawn out. You know, we're seeing Bob's head very, very slowly approach this drill. And there's that tiniest bit of hope that Bob will escape. But you know that drill is going through his skull. You just know it's coming. As a horror fan, you just know. But it's so gory. And it's unique enough. And just directed in a way that's so satisfying. Even if it is sad to see Bob go and not really have anything to do in the story. It's such a fantastic scene to watch it all play out and see that drill finally go through his brain and come out the other end. And you see that the skin rip, you know, when it first enters his head. And there's plenty of gore. And I just like when his jaw clenches right before the scene transitions to the next. (laughs) As 
Bob is no more. Yeah, I love those POV shots of the drill, too, getting closer and closer. Good stuff. Yeah, it's scary, it's effective, and I don't want to see a drill for about a week, so that's that. (laughs) So, Sean, lay it on us. What's your favorite kill? My favorite kill is hands down the gut puking. Nice. I remember seeing this image before even seeing this movie. I think of all the images in this movie, the girl puking her guts out is the most iconic. I remember seeing it on t-shirts. I saw it on album covers. <laughs> it's truly horrific. Or should I say gorific? I really love that bleeding eye effect. It just could not be comfortable or feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it gets to me every time. This also brings me back to one of the things that attracted me to horror movies at a young age. I've said before, I always knew movies were fake. And I was always fascinated by the fact that people would agree to take part in wild shit like this. Like, this actress is immortalized here. In very gruesome fashion. And she slays. She deserves it. (laughs) She was clearly game. So bravo. You deserve to be immortalized in this epic horror sequence. I love all the effort she put into this. And all the effort the effects crew put into this. Great shit. Plus it's a twofer. And we get the first skull brain crush here. Say what you will about the brain crushes, but they're pretty good when you see the brains just pop out of the heads. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, these two weeks we have films that are just loaded with iconic and memorable scenes. And as far as kills go, this one stands head and shoulders above the rest, if you ask me. Absolutely, yeah. There's no shortage of kills and... There's plenty of legendary scenes here, so it's really great stuff. Cool, man. So, speaking of scenes, what's your favorite? So, my favorite scene, I gotta go with Peter saving Mary from being buried alive. That's what I went with also. (laughs) Let's hear about it. (laughs) Had a feeling. Had a feeling. And I almost went with the gut puking scene, too, so we are almost on the same wavelength here. But... You know, this scene is such a slow burn, and in any other movie, it would be annoying, but here, it's effective. You've got Mary gasping for air in this dimly lit casket, scratching at the fabric so hard that it's causing her fingers to just bleed, and you have this eerie, unsettling sound of the scratches, like nails on a chalkboard, (laughs) and it's just... Fascinating to watch and just so unsettling. And the claustrophobia in this scene is top notch too, because I hate being in small spaces and being in this casket buried alive would not be fun at all. And then you've got Peter pondering whether or not he's just hearing the wind for far too long. You know, we get about four or five shots of him just thinking, hmm. What is that over there? (laughs) Should I turn around and go for the (laughs) casket? And then the scene ends with Mary luckily missing each stab of the pickaxe as Peter is attempting to break open this casket. It's an unexpected scene, and it's just really memorable. 
and bonus points for being a horror scene in broad daylight because that's always special. Yeah, I picked it because when people think Fulci, they think gore, and rightfully so. I'm not here to argue that, but at the same time, he's so much more, and this is a perfect scene to demonstrate that. It's just a masterful orchestration of tension from beginning to end. I mean, who isn't on the edge of their seat or cringing deep into the cushions when that pickaxe does come crashing down right around Mary's head? It's terrifying and actually feels dangerous. Like I said, like even her scratching at the coffin makes me cringe in a way where I feel like this actress is in real peril. And the pickaxe, even more so, truly feels dangerous, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, if there's one knock, I'll give this movie. It's like we said, it does start to lose a bit of steam around the one hour mark. And like I always say, these damn Italian horror films can be so long-winded. And I do like the first 45 minutes way more than I like the finale. And I don't think there's a better, more well-rounded scene in this whole movie than this pickaxe rescue of Mary. Yeah, well, I 100% agree with you there. It's uh, such a well-crafted scene. And yeah, you put it really great. How. This showcases that Fulci doesn't always need to rely on gore. There are bits of gore in here, but it's more about the tension in this scene, and that's what makes it so great. Definitely. Well, that was City of the Living Dead. That was your first taste of 80s mayhem. And next week's episode should come as no surprise if you know the date. It's Friday the 13th, and you know what we're going to do. Our years-long journey through that specific franchise begins next week. And you know it's loaded with even more iconic and memorable scenes in 80s horror movie history. So we'll see you then. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening, and have a great night.